Hello and welcome back to RevMatch. In this episode, we're talking about exclusivity in the auto industry. So buckle up and get ready for some unique insight into what it's like to buy hard-to-get vehicles. You know, I don't think it would be right to have a conversation um, about cool cars without it being with Matt. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so um, in terms of exclusivity and uh, some of the odd experiences that can come with car ownership, um, what are some of the cars that your family has had over the years that would that would stick to that theme? Sure. So, you know, we can start off with um, some of the, I guess, more prized uh, horses, as we call them. Um, we've got three Ferraris. One of them is an F12 Berlinetta. Um, we used to have a Scuderia, but we're, we just got rid of that. Um, and, uh, we're getting a, uh, Portofino. Um, and then we've also got a California tea. Um, and there's one other one, which is just escaping me. And then we've got, um, four classic Mercedes. One of them is a, uh, Mercedes 500. And I... Growing up or going to college, um, I had a Range Rover Evoque, which, you know, good first car, I guess. Yeah, that'll do grateful it. grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and then after getting out of college, I upgraded to a Range Rover Sport. Awesome. Um, and good that choice. thing is a complete beast. I've, I would say that, um, you know, going back to the whole, I guess, exotic car ownership, um, there is an issue in the, in the current marketplace and that is that our generation isn't interested. And so a lot of these brands, um, you know, in, in my, in one instance being Lamborghini, um, Lamborghinis are not built with the same, um, I guess. Craftsmanship, would you say? Craftsmanship, but essentially the issue with Lamborghinis is that the, Production structure is not something that allows them to consistently keep their cars' values, mm-hmm. um, you know, stagnant over the you know, typical three-year period of getting out of the car's life when it decreases the most. In a lot of instances, some of these specialized vehicles where they do limited runs, mm-hmm. um, you're not able to get a car unless you own multiple Ferraris. Because uh, I don't think a lot of people also would know that you can't just, like, great, I have the money for the car, I'm going to go buy it. And it, and it doesn't really work like that. It, it does and it doesn't. Um, when you are at a very base level, you know, you want to buy a 458 Especial, or, or sorry, a 458 Italia. Um, yeah, you can walk into a Ferrari dealership with your money, and most of the time they give it to you, um, especially if you're getting it from someone that isn't necessarily Ferrari, like, you know. Wide variety of exotic car dealerships, but maybe somewhere with the specialty Ferraris or the higher end uh, yeah. cars. So, so essentially, the issue is that once you get up into like the the, the F twelve Berlinetta exotic Ferraris, you can't just pick them up. You can't walk into a dealership, um, and you know, depending on what you're into, if you're into classic Ferraris, if you're into the more um, you know, um, I guess bare bones, race driven Ferraris, um, is that the values are just exponential at this point. So, as I mentioned, I guess uh, part of Ferrari's you know production line limitation is their um, restri- 
restriction on who buys their cars. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of celebrities requesting things like La Ferrari. They, you know, you can't just walk into a dealership and buy right. it. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the case of my family, we wanted to get a Ferrari 458 Pista. And in order to get this, we also had to order a Ferrari Portofino. So we decided that we could probably get rid of our other California um, and replace these two with that. So, um, you know, that kind of breeds into the exclusivity of just uh, obtaining a Ferrari. So you um, almost had to prove that you were a loyal enough customer to deserve you, this you, ab- you absolutely do. You do. Um, and, you know, this being said, we've, between the years, we've probably had six. Uh, final question for you here, Matt. Sure. You have access to any car for sale. What are you buying? I know you said you uh, love the Aston Martin. Sure. Any car. Uh, probably a Ferrari 250 GTO. And a they classic. Run about, and they run about $26 million. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, more incentive to work. Yeah, exactly. I'll get there one day. Yeah. Hey, I don't doubt it. But... All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, being able to speak on this because I don't. I think that exposure is uh, a pretty unique aspect of, you know, car ownership. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great pleasure uh, speaking to you, and look forward to catching up sometime. Definitely. So my next guest on the podcast is actually my dad. And uh, so sticking with the theme of exclusivity here, uh, what did you recently purchase? Recently purchased a 2020 uh, G63 Mercedes. So for non-car people, the G-Wagon, every uh, mom car, the celebrity vehicle of choice right now. Pretty much. So why were you interested in a G63 to begin with? When you have other you know, similar build quality and performance-wise SUVs? You know, I think it's a uh, it's a unique vehicle. It's, a, it's certainly, like, classic when it comes to Mercedes history. Uh, the G-Wagon has a military background. It's a very non-traditional, uh, very square body style for all buttons, ton of technology, but it still goes down to the roots of how a vehicle used to be. And uh, my wife, your mom, likes vehicles that are more so, uh, you know, they're more fundamentally balanced with a combination of not being aerodynamic (laughs) and being um, technologically probably not less superior, but they hit buttons instead of like, it's not like an iPhone. Right. Yeah. Mom likes uh, buttons and cubes. So Correct. I don't think there could have been a better fit for her. No, and when my wife is happy, I'm happy. So can you touch on what that process was like to get it? Because um, I know that's more complicated than people would think. Sure. So the challenge of buying this vehicle was that, as I understand, they only ship 800 G-Wagons in a year. And of the 800 G-Wagons, only... 20% or 160 of them are G63s. So basically they ship two every month uh, to each one of the four quarters of the United States. So it took forever to get one, at least a year. So how did you go about being one of the selected people 
to get to purchase this vehicle? Sure. I've had to buy several other vehicles in advance uh, to get this vehicle. So I recently purchased another AMG Mercedes and it gave me the, the ability to buy another AMG Mercedes at the dealership. So I know that initially you were looking at a 2019 and then that didn't work out and then you got a 2020. So can you talk about or maybe touch about the uh, like the build slots and like what kind of options and how that works? Sure. So what happens is when you are going to uh, build a vehicle, they basically sit down with a sales rep at the dealership and you are going through all the options and you choose what you want your vehicle to look like. Um, you give them a, down po- uh, a deposit and that deposit is non-refundable. And it says, hey, I'm going to choose this vehicle to be given to me at some point in the future. Who knows how long it is. <laughs> and there's only a certain amount of those build slots that exist, too. So is it like a first-come, first-served basis? Um, no, actually. It's first-come, first-served based on owning other cars. So someone couldn't just walk into the dealership with a lot of money and buy a vehicle. You've had to purchase several other vehicles in advance in the AMG or, you know, supercharged twin turbo vehicles in order to purchase this one so just because you can afford the car doesn't mean that you can own the car correct you have to have purchased several other vehicles in advance to buy this vehicle from a dealership and i know with your situation too initially you still had a build slot for the future correct correct but uh i guess we kind of got lucky there um can you explain what happened certainly somebody uh had had their build spot and they forfeited it for whatever reason. So I was the next in the uh, national build spot, and they called me and said, would you like this vehicle? It was 99% of what I chose. So I accepted the build spot, and then mine was forfeited and given to the next person in line. When we purchased this vehicle, the reason we were allotted a spot was because the dealership and I have a relationship, so they know I'm not going to sell the vehicle. People who are purchasing the vehicles with the purpose of selling them are kind of uh, stopped almost at the initial sales process because of the legal contract of you're not allowed to sell a vehicle for a year. So I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, you don't hear about too often. Um, So they they made you sign a contract when you bought that. Yeah. um, So legally, if... I were to own this vehicle, I couldn't sell for at least 12 months. Uh, the dealership itself gets a $10,000 fine, and I would uh, probably share on a similar fine in the event of an early sale prior to 12 months. So, and I know people were making money off them too, because the 2019s that are available that are used are more expensive than the 2020s, correct? It, it depends, yes, um, but it really depends on the relationship you have with your dealer. So, because I've purchased other vehicles, I actually get my deals, my my cars at uh, lists, and anyone else buying this vehicle without a relationship would pay anywhere between a hundred and hundred fifty thousand more for the vehicle per- to purchase it based on just not having a relationship. And Mercedes too limited you that you know because I know that you had even kicked around the idea, or I'm sure other people have, of buying more than one with the sole purpose of flipping them. Yeah, that's not allowed. <laughs> so you get one, and that's final, if you can get one. If you get one, yeah. Uh, and then final question here. 
if there's one part of the the buying process that surprised you the most or that you don't think people would know about or that would shock them, uh, what part do you think that is? Well, I think it's an odd thing when you are buying a vehicle where you have no idea what the price is going to be and you have no idea how long it's going to take. <laughs> yeah. And you have no idea if you're going to get what you ordered. So other than that, everything went normal. <laughs> <laughs> Normal buying process, except for the fact you don't know anything. Right. Sure. But th- but that's the way it is with certain vehicles that are unique. Right. Yeah. Well, again, though, you're paying for, you know, that name and the image. And in this case, too, a big point is the quality. So. Yeah. What, what was really unusual uh, the, on the delivery of the vehicle when your mom and I visited the dealership? The president and the general manager of the dealership basically said, hey, congratulations. If you don't want it, call me. I will buy it back. <laughs> <laughs> and you said people showed up, right? To... Yeah, pretty much. Wow. It's kind of odd. Yeah. Um, so, all right. It's, it's okay. It's in our garage. It's kind of chilling. And it did fit in the garage because I know there was the height. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The width was a concern. The height is fine. Oh, no. Does it fit like width-wise? Yeah, barely. Oh, no. Well, can't wait to see that. After I'm finished with this final, I will have that opportunity. Well, thank you, Dad. Thank you for talking to me and shedding some light on that process. You're welcome, buddy. As always, thank you for tuning in to RevMatch. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our future conversations. Next episode will be about the technological advancements we might expect to see in future vehicles. Remember, always have fun, drive safe, and burn some rubber.